And then you can have an anxiety disorder and anxiety attacks based off immediate things, right? And um, by the way, I'm describing my experience. I'm like, no doctor, I'm not spilling this from a book or anything um, about what's the dreadful thing that's about to happen. Like, let's say you have a horrible fear of flying and you have an anxiety attack before you get on the plane or as the plane's taking off, right? And then you have a panic attack. And like we said, that's like a chemical dump and you can feel the difference in your body. And no one can talk you out of it. There's no getting through a panic attack besides getting through it. And like we said, it's like there's a fire, you threw a chemical, a flammable chemical on the fire, and it's just got to burn out. And depending on the environment that that fire is in, like just hope to God it's not next to any dry grass, right? And for me, I felt like it was always next to dry grass. And... Welcome to the Growth and Thriving Podcast, where we celebrate those who have overcome great trauma, trials, and adversity, and examine the tools and techniques by which people grow and create lives that feel like thriving for them. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak, and with me today is a, is a good friend of mine, Mr. Chad Edward Myers. Welcome, Chad. Thanks for having me, Jerry. So uh, absolutely, I'm thrilled that you're here. For those who, who don't know, um, at one point, uh, Chad was um, had a, a really excellent podcast called The Napoleon Complex, <laughs> and I was privileged to be a guest on that podcast on two different occasions. And I love those episodes, yeah. So do I, and it feels like a cool role reversal to be doing this now. Um, I've known Chad since 2016 when we trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu together, and uh, ended up having many deep and philosophical conversations. Yeah, for sure. Became good friends and and got to know each other's families. Uh, Chad has a remarkable history and has um, uh, dealt with some some very big issues that I think most of us, certainly me, I've been really impressed by some of the things that Chad has overcome in his life and has grown to be a a tremendous father, uh, a loving husband, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. For those of you in the know, that is no small accomplishment. They don't (laughs) jiu-jitsu. And and so Chad, I mean, he and I were baby blue belts together and he was (laughs) a monster on the mats back then. So I can only imagine now. And uh, most recently the owner of combative fighting systems in yes. Colorado. So welcome to the show, Chad. Uh, I'm gonna invite you free form to kind of jump in and start wherever you want. You can um, certainly talk about your gym, but uh, whatever in your history, we just tell your story and and uh, I'll sort of maybe jump in from time to time, but- Yeah, interrupt um, me when you need to, cause I talk too much for sure. <laughs> no, by all means, you have some some really important things to say and I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here to share it. So. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks so much for being on my show when I had it. Uh, 
they kind of died off because one of the biggest dynamics of my show, right, was having people come on, we interview, and during the COVID, uh, like right when it happened, everyone was like, I can't be seen with other people, I have to quarantine, and when you podcast, as you know, you have to be extremely consistent, and the consistency of my podcast just died. Yeah. I used to have people scheduled three months out, yeah. you know what I mean, and every weekend I would have multiple people coming to record, and it just went to nothing, and um, I'm really glad that they have the technology now that you can do this. You know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, you and I are in different locations, but we're still hosting the podcast face to face. So Absolutely. I think it's pretty cool. I think uh, I took on other ventures during the COVID shutdown. So um, I might get back into podcasting. You've motivated me awesome. to maybe get back into it. That would be great. Your show is really great. I enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah, I it, it was during a time of, you know, political dysfunction and yeah. you know things kind of have changed a little bit everything focused on the covid crisis and it's really difficult if you want to do anything now to give your opinion on that if you want to have you know i mean a stable job your employer can look at your opinion on covid and decide whether or not to employ you and vice versa so yeah anyway i'm glad that you're doing what you're doing this is awesome. I'm super, I'm always happy whenever you post something. I'm like, ah, oh, Jerry's doing awesome things as usual. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, very awesome platform to kind of go real life people, right? Not like in an advertisement, not in a commercial of a mental health struggle from beginning to end. And when I was going through my mental health struggle, I was so desperate to get stories like that. And there just wasn't enough of them out there you would go through reddit and you would hear some things um and you would kind of oftentimes you would hear people talk about their struggle but you never really saw the outcome it right. seems like they were desperate enough to post something but when they got be better or if they didn't get better it was never a resubmission of how they got in the end so this is kind of cool to see from beginning middle end maybe of people's struggles there's, there's a couple of things also, since you brought that up, I think some of my frustrations as a psychologist, um, especially as it pertains to, so, so I'm of the opinion, and, and not everybody agrees with this, but I'm of the opinion that most mental health difficulties, I'm not saying all, but most, for sure PTSD and, and like acute stress disorder, that's true. But even things like depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder, in my opinion, are more frequently about what somebody's been through than what's wrong with them, right? I think okay. more often than not, people develop depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or things that might look like, say, borderline personalities because of what they've been through in points in their lives. Um, I even look at certain conditions that you might be born with that way. It's just what you went through while you were in utero versus what you went through after you were born. And so um, I don't like to see human beings as being fundamentally broken or having something wrong with them. I, I believe no reaction to their circumstances. And, I would, I would agree with that opinion. Yeah. And I would say that it's been in uh, the discourse recently, fairly like that you, there's always a victim thing. Like it's almost like you're designed to go to therapy or you're designed to uh, have to go through a struggle or, you know what I mean? You're or dis dispositioned, right, right? right? And 
I don't really like that. Biologically dispositioned, right? Not yeah, socially. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I would agree with that because especially in my experience, mine was so night and day. Yeah. And so as you hear the story, I mean, you, you'll be able to see, at least in my position, how it was so uh, transparent, like how I was at one point and how I was at the other point. And you can see like, it wasn't the way I was born. I, I can kind of dive into it. So yeah. I had an extreme anxiety disorder and panic disorder. Um, and I would say those go hand in hand because I could tell the difference between either. And one thing I used to be extremely proud of is stress tolerance and being able to manage uh, my emotions, my stress. Uh, and even when I was going through my disorder, I could tell the difference between being anxious about an interview, right? Like that's anxiousness that you're supposed to have, being anxious about certain things compared to when an anxiety attack is coming or when a panic attack hits you. I can feel the difference between all three. And I would try to explain that to people that's completely different. And when I was growing up, I kind of was under the impression or under the opinion that you're like, you need to get over it. You just need to deal with it. And you just like, come on, be happier for depressed people. And I wouldn't say I necessarily had a clinical, clinic, like diagnosable depression, but I would say that an aspect of me was depressed just because my anxiety was so chronic that I felt like I couldn't be the person I was before. Sure. So that one was more like a uh, dependent variable of the anxiety, right? Um, something I could definitely temperate or what, what, like uh, what's the word that I'm looking for where I can manage it. There we go. I can manage it, the depression, but the anxiety I could not. Mm. And there was uh, a week where I was so just messed up that I barely got out of bed. And if you knew me before, which I'll describe me a little bit before that just doesn't that's not me that's not who I was right so I'm always been like the rambunctious type and you know if someone told me I couldn't do something it became my goal to do it right and <laughs> that's me right and uh I bought I remember at one point I was just sick of tired of school so I bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii packed up all my stuff and I just stayed in Hawaii for a while because I was just done where I was and I was like <laughs> all right I'm not I would rather be miserable in paradise, right? And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was nice because it was, I didn't realize that places in the United States, you could just have such a culture shock. You mm -hmm. could go and become the minority. You could right. become the outcast. And no one likes people moving to Hawaii. I mean, we all live in Colorado where we all hate people who move to Colorado. Yeah, right. It's like that times a billion in Hawaii, right? Uh, people can tell that you're an outsider just by the way you carry yourself, you know, and it takes you a while to fit in. And anyway, so that was me. I just bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii, figured things out. On my second day, I was renting a room in a house of four other college kids. And on the third day, I had a job interview and I got a job uh, doing personal training at the 24-hour fitness out there. And I just started my life. I had no car, had no way to get around, just started walking around. Um, for people who know Hawaii, <laughs> I lived in Palolo Valley. So I had to walk through like the projects of Hawaii just to get, because I didn't know the area. Right. I'm just like, oh, this is a nice house. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was walking through as a Howley, um, some of the worst parts of Hawaii. And 
I was able to figure things out. I was able just to set a course, figure out what I need to do to get to the end of the course and arrive at my destination. And there was nothing I, I never quit. I always finished everything I started. Wherever destination I set myself, I was, I was getting there. And people knew that about me. Um, then, of course, uh, eventually I decided to go back and finish school, which I did. I met the love of my life, Jade. And uh, Jade had a two-year-old son, Ezekiel Corbin. And um, so Jade and I got together. I started raising Zeke. I was 20 years old when I met Jade. Hmm. Uh, when we're closing in on 10 years of that happening. Yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah. And since then, Jade and I have had three children in addition to Ezekiel. So we have four children, two boys and two girls. Uh, I joined uh, the Army and... I just switched over to the Navy Reserves about four and a half years ago. And so it's been this crazy, you know, starting a family, starting a career, finishing school, just doing all the things. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about that time is I would say about six, seven years ago, I all of a sudden out of nowhere just started having these ridiculous panic attacks. And these panic attacks, the first time it happened, I was driving down I-25 for people in Colorado, but uh, for people who aren't in Colorado, I-25 is our biggest highway running uh, north-south. It goes from Pueblo to Colorado Springs, Denver, Fort Collins, or close to Fort Collins, all the way up to Cheyenne. And I had a panic attack that was so severe, I like couldn't register what I was seeing while I was driving in the fast lane down I-25. And I was like, what is going on? This Something like this has never happened to me. And I remember I almost got in an accident trying to pull off to the side of the road because I knew I couldn't like see anything. And I remember cars were honking at me and I like sat on the side of the road for like 20 minutes before I could even register what just happened. Wow. It was, it was insane. And I was like, okay, whatever that was, <laughs> right. I tried to shake it off you know, cause I had never experienced anything close to that. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to uh, decide to keep going. Right. And so I drove home. I didn't tell anybody about it, but sure enough, the next day I, I had about three panic attacks and it just became like a regular cycle throughout the day that I would just have multiple panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what was going on. And what was even worse is like the anxiety of when the next panic attack is what really crippled me. Right. It's because I was always worried. And then it became to the point where I was so scared of having a panic attack while I was driving, like when I was on I-25, that I pretty much almost stopped driving altogether. And I was always asking rides from people and I was always making up reasons uh, why I needed rides. Like maybe my car wasn't working or, you know, I mean, some bullshit reason, but mm -hmm. Thank God, because of the people around me and because Jade was patient, I had uh, my sister and my parents, uh, they helped me out a lot, but I couldn't, it became a phobia, like where I couldn't even be alone, right? because I somehow could talk myself through the panic attack when I was with somebody, because mm -hmm. I kept telling myself, if something like physically, physiologically horrible happened to me right now at least there's somebody here who can like at least call an ambulance or you know what I mean like right. I was able to talk myself but when I was alone 
it was like I was completely fucked. A panic attack while I was alone was the most horrible thing. Like I considered, I would consider killing myself just so I wouldn't have to deal with a panic attack. Right. That's how vicious they were. And like I said, they came out of nowhere. I bought a one-way one ticket by myself to Hawaii not right. too long prior and was walking through the streets of Hawaii without knowing anybody. You know, everyone was making fun of me. <laughs> and to the point where I couldn't even be around people I was comfortable in a comfortable environment without having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety that came with it was horrible. And I think I said before, the depression, like I said, was more manageable, but just like, I'm not me anymore. Right. And I think there's like a week in there where I just couldn't find the, I wouldn't say courage, but the motivation to get out of bed. Hmm. Like I just decided to pretend like I was sick for a week and then didn't go anywhere. And even that was rough because I was scared of being alone when of course my wife had to go to work and my kids had to go to school and everybody else had to be a normal adult. And I was just panicking about panicking alone. (laughs) Right. It was horrible. It was the most debilitating thing I've ever been through. And I've been through multiple military branches. I I had a job salmon fishing in Alaska. You know what I mean? Uh, I've been around. I've done a lot of crazy cool things, crazy hard things. But mental obstruction, I think, is by far the worst battle I've ever done with. Right. Well, and and what it sounds like to me, like if I had to um, sort of project in my own understanding and, and by all means, please correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of these crazy cool things that you've done, you've been able to do mostly because of the mental resilience that you had, right? The ability right. to like be salmon fishing in Alaska as, as a career, to be in Hawaii or anywhere else unfamiliar on your own, figuring out how to put the pieces together to create a life, to have a job, a place to live, right? All of that, you know, your, your, as I understand it, your ability to move to Hawaii without a plan is indicative of how much faith you had in your own resilience and your own abilities, right? Absolutely. And, and so, and so the common thread through a lot of those, of those experiences is, yeah, I can handle it because I, I know what I'm capable of. But then when the problem is emotional like that and your own resilience is sort of overwhelmed and that mental toughness that you rely on in all those circumstances feels like it's disappearing, then then what do you have? It's, yeah, I just got a little teary-eyed, sorry. Uh, I've never really evaluated it like that, but it's exactly what you go through. Like, I remember... Uh, a picture with, um, you know, like a motivational picture uh, that said a bird is never worried about the, the strength of the branch, right? It just has to depend on its wings. Right. Exactly. So if it breaks and I, that seems like something I probably read off of your post. <laughs> if, it's, it's actually one of my favorite quotes is that, okay, yeah. that quote. Yeah. I love that quote that a bird doesn't need to depend on the strength of the branch. If the branch breaks, he can fly. Yeah. And I wasn't like that anymore. Right. I was completely dependent on so many things. And even before that I had preached about not being dependent on anything. 
Like for people who know me, like, uh, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't even have sugar hardly at all because I never want any sort of dependency, you know, or I mean, limit, limit them as much as possible. And so that way, if you don't have those things, you know, kind of like a stoic principle, like enjoy them when you can, but like, if you weren't to have those things anymore, if they were cut off, it wouldn't be that much of a shock to you because you know how to be dependent without it. And I'm big on being self-reliant and things that come into your life are a benefit, right? An added supplement, not a compliment. Right. Or sorry, I said that backwards. An added compliment, not a supplement. Like you don't need it to get by. It just, it complements your life. Right, sure. And so I was really big on that. And the fact that I had become so dependent was the worst feeling in the world. And the fact that I wasn't like, I kept not thinking like I was a man and not even like being a man, but being an adult. Like I wasn't even being adult. I was being driven around and every once in a while by my parents, I shouldn't say every once in a while, they drove me around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily I would find ways of like carpooling with people to work and stuff like that. And they always thought it was weird, but I never, I was too embarrassed to tell them that I was going through this disorder and I, you don't realize how bad it is. You know, it's bad, but like when you've come out on the other side and you look back, you're like, I was bad. Like I would just be sitting there in a comfortable environment, panicking, hoping nobody would talk to me because like I wouldn't be able to respond and hope like all these worst case scenarios running through my head. But it's like, like I said, there is multiple different, there's like, there's normal anxiousness and stress. Right. And then there's like the anxiety disorder and there's a panic disorder. And you can tell the <clears throat> physical difference between each of them. Right. Like when a panic attack hits you, it's like an uncontrollable, uncontrollable dump of chemicals, right? That once they get released, it's not like you can stop it. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I dump, uh, if I dump gasoline on a fire, yeah. it's not like you want, you have to let that burn out. There's yep. not like you can just put it out right there. And you know, when a panic attack hits, it's like that happens and you have to deal with it. And so no matter what comes at you, you can't be like, please wait one second panic attack while I address this as a normal adult. You just can't. Right. right. And so knowing that that was about to come, I couldn't pinpoint what was causing the panic attack. I know that would, it would trigger worse if I was alone. So I did everything I could be to not be alone because if a panic attack happened while I was around people, like I said, I was able to talk out of it. It, it was this negative, is that positive feedback loop where it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it feeds itself, right? Exactly. And God, it, I'm telling you, it was so debilitating. Yeah. It was, I couldn't, okay, so where I live is right next to King Supers. I remember I couldn't even, I would try, I couldn't even make it to King Supers and get out of the car to pick something up right. and then yeah. check out. It was too many steps. My brain said that was too many steps and I would start to panic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was suffocating. I feel I felt like I couldn't breathe. My heart would race. A lot of people attribute panic attacks like they're having a heart attack. Yeah. I could see that a little bit, but mine was like a head rush. Mm. Um that that puts you out of work. Right. You know what I mean? Like you were just overstimulated to the point where you shut down. Right. And so I never really felt like I was having a panic attack, but I felt like I was, I felt like I needed to die. 
Wow. I mean, that's, that's extreme. And what's interesting to me is that of all the like people that I know, and you were, it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's not ironic. Maybe it's, there's something, um, <clears throat> something to it that like prior to this experience, your need for independence was seen, sounds the way you described it, sounds like that was a little overdeveloped, right? Like, probably. <laughs> right? Like, like, I mean, as an adult, don't get me wrong, I, I think it's important to have <clears throat> some sense of self reliance and to have some ability to handle things on your own when need be, right? And I think it's um, a valuable quality to, to know that if all else fails, you can count on your own resources and your own you know, resilience and your own intellect and, and your own physical abilities to whatever, to find a job, to find a place to live, to build a place to live, to, you know, to survive. I, I agree. But what I heard you saying sounded a lot like there was this need to A, be very often, if not always, exercising that ability. Yeah. And, and B, like, in such a way that it was almost shameful to do something collaboratively with somebody else, to, like, have help or assistance in doing something that wasn't totally independent, right? It was almost better if there was another person involved, if they were just relying on you and you were taking care of both of you. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. And Yeah, it's like I could... I don't, I always, I'd never mind collaborating, but at the same time, I would need to be the one in charge. So if that person was unreliable, I could still handle it on my own. Yeah. And so, and so it seems, you know, at service level, it seems ironic, but like I said, maybe there's something to it that this sort of feeling of, of helplessness, this period of absolute reliance was like the pendulum had to swing to the other direction. Almost, yeah. Right. Um, I very, I very much see that that it went from one extreme to the other. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. What were you saying? Sorry. I said exactly right. Like it's almost like it. You know, it had to go to the other extreme in order to achieve some balance. Yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't sure. balanced up until that point. I would say that's accurate. And I would say that like, it's a correct observation. If I were viewing it from a third person, I would say exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of coincidences going on at that time. And I really attributed what was going on in my life with what was going on with my gut health. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I had mm -hmm. a lot of success in that so um i started looking up um gut biome and its relationship to anxiety right because they call the gut the second brain i started finding out depending on which doctor you talk to like up between these are the ranges like between 70 percent and 95 percent, depending on who you talk to of serotonin is in the gut right and um before you know it, it's a journey figuring out all that information because what I ended up doing is I became obsessed with solving the problem. I, be, I was no longer uh, going to be like a victim anymore. And that 
was, I think the thing that saved me is I would go to some doctors, I would explain what was going on. And the very first thing is, I was like, can you please listen to me? I really don't want to get on drugs or anything. I want to like, see if we can figure this out where this might be rooting. And for sure enough, every single doctor I talked to, it was like, here's a pill or we'll go ahead and get you uh, we can, what's it called? Make you an inpatient or, you know what I mean? All these other things. And I was like, you guys, I, I don't feel like anybody here listened to me at all. You know what I mean? And I was trying to explain what was going on with me physiologically. They're like, yeah, this is all in your head, you know, which I mean, of course it is. But at the same time, they said it and to me in a dismissive manner. And like, here's some Zoloft or whatever drugs and go on and I have my next patient. And that's the way it felt. And I don't know if the term, I like the term fired. I know I'm not firing my doctor, but I would fire the doctors, right? Smart, yeah. uh, and I would, I kept going from one to one to, I found someone who was more, on the up and up with like gut health and brain health in that connection. And I became obsessed with researching and thank God I had like the educational background to know how to do academic research mm -hmm. uh, because all the hippie stuff that you see, like all the blog posts and all the like gut health stuff, a lot of the stuff that you see out there is just propagating their own products. Sure. Right. You know what I mean? And I mean, there are good things out there, but it's like, Hey, you know, you could cure your anxiety, try this probiotic. And it's not necessarily that simple because right. you're taking one problem and one solution and saying like, we're the entire path. And that's not the case. Like, um, I noticed probiotics right off the help made me worse. Right. And, um, what I did notice though, for sure. And I, I'll cut back to this. So that way I don't get too ahead of myself is I started paying attention to the foods I ate. So I completely scrapped all the foods I ate. And I only ate pretty much vegetables for a while, mm -hmm. right? Just things I know that were healthy and whatnot. So like uh, vegetables and chicken. And I noticed a slight improvement. Mm -hmm. And then I would add something new. And if by the end of the week, I got worse, I didn't have that food anymore, right? Or if I felt better, I was like, okay, this is a food I can eat. And I really started from scratch. And I already didn't, I didn't have sugar, right? I wasn't doing alcohol. I wasn't smoking. So I didn't really have any of those things to uh, remove right. from my everyday life, my lifestyle. And so I finally got to a point where I was semi better, right? Mm -hmm. The panic attacks weren't happening randomly anymore. And sure enough, I would have a panic attack and I would think back to what I ate and I'm like, oh, I did try something new. You know what I mean? I wonder if that was it. And I would experiment with that food and I would try not to think about it. So it wasn't psychosomatic. And if a panic attack hit or it didn't, then I knew I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not that. And what I ended up doing is I compiled like this weird diet of mine where I felt okay or not okay. And what I started to do is I looked very deep into the micronutrients and a little bit of the macronutrients of each one of those things and what correlated and what didn't, right? So I would come up with a theory, but if there's something over here where I felt like this food bothered me, uh, then I would like, okay, that doesn't line up with my uh, theory of what was bothering me, right? So I tried to approach it. I would look through all the uh, academic journals to see like if my theories, if there was any sort of justice to them, right? Or any sort of um, merit to what I was thinking. Or things like that. Yeah. yeah, right. I thought of everything and everyone was like, it sounds like you have a certain food allergy. So I went to the doctor and we did the allergy test, no allergy test. Like, you know, I'm like every doctor was like, you're completely healthy. You know, and <laughs> since I had cut, 
I had cut down on my uh, food ingestion. So my cholesterol was fantastic, like too low. <laughs> yeah. And every, every doctor was like, you are one of the healthiest people we know. We have, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm telling you it's physiological. I even had, uh, what's it called? Uh, the GI guy do the scope. The, yeah. um, I forgot what that's called. I can't believe I already forgot. But they had scopes going down front and back. Oh, and like, uh, like a colonoscopy. Barium, barium. Yeah. Barium, yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything came back healthy. Everything was good. And it was so aggravating because I was like, I know something's wrong. Right. Uh, but so I kind of like came to the conclusion. I'm like, maybe this is all in my head. But one thing I could not justify was or uh, reconcile was this brain fog and the panic that I would get with eating certain foods and I would test it. Mm -hmm. And I know the psychosomatic, like most psychologists, I guess would say like the psychosomatic effects and having a phobia, you know, created almost like an OCD uh, from whatever, I guess, phobia was feeding it, right? Like, so obviously I had an anxiety disorder that was creating a phobia that was leading to certain behaviors. Yeah, I wouldn't describe it that way. I mean, okay, how would you describe it? Well, my hypothesis, yeah, right? like, and and I had this hypothesis because you used to talk to me at jujitsu about yeah foods and right mm -hmm. and anxiety and things and um and you would confide in me about some of this and my I remember very clearly that my hypothesis at the time and and this is kind of still what I would guess um, is that people are complex and maybe it's a little bit of both, right? Maybe there are food substances or ingested substances that increase whatever things feel like anxiety, right? They can affect your brain chemistry, can affect your heart rate, can affect your blood pressure. All these things are part of anxiety, right? And so, and also, Maybe there's some other social, relational, psychological, other component as well. And the combination of those things is what's <clears throat> throwing you into full-blown panic or full-blown anxiety. Because what I hear, what I would hear back then too, is, and so imagine like these foods that you're finding you're sensitive to, right? Maybe if otherwise you felt fine psychologically if otherwise you were very psychologically healthy maybe you didn't you know when I brought up a few minutes ago this like very extreme dependence that you had uh, we didn't quite get into it but I imagine that came from somewhere too right? oh yeah I know I know exactly where that came okay from. that's so, that's easier to diagnose for okay. sure <laughs> right. but so but my assumption is that there was something there right there was something mental healthy and social kind of in the history. And so maybe if you didn't have that, maybe if you were just kind of psychologically healthy and you ate these foods, <clears throat> they might still have a physiological impact, but it might be so minor that you wouldn't even notice. Right. But these foods combined with a psychological piece maybe magnify everything, right, in such a way. Because the piece I heard that I still react to today when you're telling the story is you went through a shit ton of work. You went through a lot of restriction and a lot of work to feel okay. Yeah, and that's right? exactly what it was. Right? I wasn't Not great. great, just okay. 
And so I was okay. You, yeah. Right. So I, it makes me think that that's part of the solution, but not the whole thing. Right. Exactly. So like exactly what you said, I was doing, I did so much work. I was doing so much and being so restrictive. I don't know if you remember, but um, I lost so much weight. I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so thin. Um, I used to cut in high school to wrestle the 140 weight class. And I ended up walking around at like 133 yeah. at my lowest weight. And that was just like, what? Because I was so restrictive. I was so scared. So like had such a phobia of trying foods and, you know, I mean, if I was like at work and they weren't serving, like if I didn't bring food with me and they weren't serving anything I felt comfortable with, I wouldn't eat, Right. you know, and uh, that that's no way to live. But I felt like that was the better alternative. And I have extremes in your life, though. Yeah, <laughs> but I did. But I felt much be- like rather than having multiple panic attacks every day. Yeah. And so I couldn't I couldn't reconcile that. I couldn't reconcile the fact that when I changed my diet, I got better. Right. I couldn't reconcile the fact that when I would try certain things that panic attacks would come. And there is just so many like causations that I was finding in my own experience. I was like, okay, this, there's something to this. Right. And like you were saying, it's probably a combination of like mental health along with uh, just like maybe adding gasoline to the fire, you yeah, know? Right. And um, maybe if you, I add have gasoline, like- if you add gasoline to nothing, you have gasoline. Right. In order for it to, to fuel, there has to already be a fire. Yeah. Right. So that's probably exactly where I was. So just like one little compromise in my system, yeah. probably, you know, let right. the whole building go down. And the, uh, the structure that may have been there may have not been as strong as I thought. Right. And one thing I used to describe to people is it was like I was walking through the abyss and then one day I realized the glass I was walking on wasn't there. And all of a sudden I couldn't tell what was up and down, what was anything, right? I just had a false sense of what was up and down because I had glass to walk on. Right. And that orientated me. And when this happened, like when the glass shattered, there was no orientation anymore. Right. And I realized like things have always been this insane. I just somehow was like getting through it. Like, <laughs> It's like uh, you see in those movies, like where all the chaos just barely avoids the baby as they're crawling through. And that was like, maybe me the whole time. I just <laughs> yeah. had this unjust sense of confidence. Like yeah. I'm fine, but really this chaos barely, yeah. you know, avoiding me. Um, so anyway, I um, finally, I finally talked to a doctor who um, was like, I am very aware of the gut brain connection, right? And I'm a strong believer in it. And he said, there's not, and this is the case too, there's not enough um, clinical research in that field for me to tell you yes or no. And that's why a lot of doctors are scared of it because even though it looks extremely promising, it's still very new. And we do know, like we know certain facts. We know a ton of serotonin receptors are in the gut. We know that gut biome has had uh, certain impacts on your mental health. And we've measurably been able to impact gut biome and change personality, right? right? And so he was saying, like, as a doctor, he's like, yeah, I can't tell you this is the result. Like, if I give you aspirin, this is a result that's going to happen to your body. I can't tell you these things. But what I can tell you is, like, based on what I know, I would really consider talking to, uh, what's it called, psychotherapist or therapist and maybe talking about doing something that's a little bit more extreme for your gut because I was my 
my anxiety was so bad. I was certain that if I got onto an antidepressant, I would be one of those stories where I ended up like killing myself. Right. Right. There's that. But the other piece that you, I think were missing at the time, and I can say this because I knew you, you know, <laughs> is that um, all of that obsession with food and diet. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, let me, let me, let me preface this by saying what that doctor said, I think was very astute. And if you look, you know, psychology is pretty young as far as the sciences go. And if you look back over the history of psychology, at different periods in time, we've identified various different things that were, um, had some impact on people's mental health, right? And each of those things, more or less to this day, remain a piece of the puzzle, but none of them remain, have ever become the piece of the puzzle. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so, and so gut biome is probably, an, and the problem is every time we, we find something new like that, it's great because it gives us new opportunities that we didn't have before, but it also sort of introduces more questions than answers because the, the organism is just way more complex than we thought. Right. It's so complex. And right. like, I'm, I would say a living testament of that. It's right. right. And so I would hypothesize, like I said, I have no doubt that some of those dietary changes were having some impact that seems perfectly reasonable to me what i think you were missing then and i don't know if you see it now or not maybe you do and and maybe i don't know maybe i'm i'm wrong too but it, it just seems like that obsession with the diet being the answer like that amount of energy that you put into food and restriction and controlling your diet and control um is a manifestation of anxiety. You were anxious oh, yeah. about your food. And so you just, you took all that anxiety that, you know, um, if you think about like um, the panic attacks and things, it's like an explosion, right? It's uncontrolled. It just explodes out and whoever's walking around gets hit by the shrapnel and hit by the <laughs> yeah. Shrapnel, right? Yeah. And, and what you were doing with this focus on your diet was taking all that explosive energy of this anxiety and channeling it at a thing so it was like a controlled explosion but it was still anxiety oh for sure <laughs> and, so, and i think i became obsessive with it because right. it was the only thing that worked so far right because i tried yeah right yeah i tried so many i could tell it wasn't i knew that it was going to be a complicated answer but at least like i had found one clue yeah you know and so i was like Hopefully this will unravel something, you know, like lead yeah. to the next thing. And so I was using, the, I was like focused on that because the alle alleviation yeah. from just that, at least I, I was on the right track, right? And I could at least use that as some sort of tangibility sure. in my life because I tried like, uh, you and I had talked about it because I asked you about exposure therapy and stuff because I tried uh, like exposing myself to the things that I was anxious about over and over. And I remember I did the same drive every day for like a year yeah. and no matter what, nothing got better. Some days were a lot worse. Some days were a lot better, but nothing got over time better. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just the same BS. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think exposure is working at all. I just, yeah. it got worse and worse. And I'm not a huge fan of exposure therapy to begin with. It's not really my, you know, my go-to, but, but the, the, 
the problem is that, you know, I mean, your fear, for example, of driving was pretty reasonable given what you went through on I-25 that time, right? Yeah. But, but it wasn't, I don't think it was a root issue, right? I don't think it was a core issue, no. right? It wasn't, driving didn't create your anxiety, right? You had a no. experience, right? right? And so, so I think for something like an exposure therapy to be more effective, you have to be chipping away at what is the root, what is the cause. And at that time, I'm not sure you had an insight into what that was necessarily. Nothing. Yeah. Um, I really, I really, really like was desperate to find any answer. Yeah. And I think you and I had talked about the, uh, was it EMDR? The, mm-hmm. And that, like, I didn't have any success with that. I mean, I probably got through some trauma but yeah, like that's what that's when it, for, really right yeah yeah but like i was like okay like this isn't trauma related you know what i mean like like you were saying i didn't think that i had a fear of driving i had the fear of being alone and dealing with a panic attack while driving you know what i mean so driving would trigger it it just it was miserable all the way around and exposure therapy comp- uh, cognitive behavioral therapy seemed like all the therapies out there weren't helping me uh so anyway, I talked to this di- doctor. The doctor convinced me to talk to a psychotherapist. Um, so I talked to the psychotherapist. The psychotherapist uh, was, I was explaining to her everything I kind of explained to you. And like, I'm kind of giving you like, I can't believe this. Uh, this is a short version, but I'm giving you the short version, right? Uh, I talked to the psychotherapist, um, told, her to, told her everything I told you a little bit more in detail. And then she starts talking to me about antidepressants. And I was like, oh, Damn it. Yeah. yeah. And (laughs) then she was like, I know what you're thinking. And she's like, let me explain at least since you have the knowledgeable background, it sounds like of what gut biome does. Let me explain to you the role of serotonin in the gut. And then she goes and shows me some of the academic articles that were promising about how gut serotonin and uh, your gut biome have a very tight knit relationship. And uh, one can't really happen without the other. Mm-hmm. So it's basically what I was trying to do was like trying to fill, um, what's that thing that you strain spaghetti through? Like yeah. yeah, I was like trying to fill a basket or strainer with, uh, with water right. without, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it just wasn't happening and things got a little bit better because at least water was going through there now, but like nothing was going to get filled up. And if you don't have a stable structure, you know, like the, the base, then nothing's going to be built off that. And she was saying like, I completely get where you're coming from. You need a strong biome. But if at any time in your life, you have completely stripped the serotonin from your body and you have low levels, it doesn't matter what you do. Right. It's like, you can kind of get better, but you're only going to have as strong as a base as whatever the serotonin base is. Right. And I was like, Oh, that kind of makes sense. You got me. <laughs> so I really, I struggled. She gave me these, um, antidepressants, which were Lexapro. Mm-hmm. And she said, Lexapro is really good. It has the least amount of side effects. Um, and you can cut the, like, it's a powerful drug, but you can cut them down pretty far and like increase the dosage, how you see fit. I held on to these things for like three months because I was so terrified. And one day I just felt really comfortable. I cut a five milligram 
little uh, Lexapro. So five milligrams, tiny amount, right? I cut it into quadrants and <laughs> took a quarter of one. Yeah. And just to convince myself it would be okay. And after about a week of doing just the quarter quadrants, I actually felt a little bit better. Mm. And I was, and I told her about that. And she was like, to be honest, I doubt that's enough to have a, an effect, but as long as you're not feeling worse, maybe the confidence in it right. making you feel better. I was like, all right, fair enough. So I moved up to half, which you can feel effects from two and a half milligrams. And I felt an instant relief almost after one day. I had like one day of like a tummy ache pretty much, a little bit more anxiousness. But after that day, because I read through all the comments, all the reviews, like, yeah, you can kind of get a little bit worse, but then you balance out huge relief. Wow. And I wasn't even, I was still having, you know, problems, anxiousness, but like the panic attacks were reaching the level that they were getting to. And I was just, just that moment of, I'm a little bit better. Like, you know what I mean? After six years, seven years of just miserable, like maybe there's a green light, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there's something Maybe I'm out of this purgatory hell, you know? Okay. I don't want to get too excited. I'm like, it might be psychosomatic. Who knows? And I doubt it was psychosomatic because I was critical of everything, but let's go ahead. Like, you know, I was like, let's pull back the reins. And so I did that for a while feeling better. I felt a little bit more comfortable with trying different foods and, uh, you know, trying to push myself a little bit. I was able to test the limits of, driving and being alone a little bit a little bit more right like i was able to play mental gymnastics to be like i'll be okay if i do this rather than just shutting down that alone is a huge step right like that's yeah yeah because that was out of the question before oh out completely out of the question like even suggesting it to me when other people would i'm like i get what you're saying and i've tried it but it's not going to work you know um pushing your limits baby steps what like whatever like you said, was out there. I tried it. And of course, not every single thing, but what I'm saying is like, I was giving everything a chance and things just seemed to not be working. So anyway, uh, I increased my dosage to five milligrams and I never wanted to go above five milligrams. I'm at five milligrams. I've been on uh, a full dosage for like, I would say five, six months. Mm -hmm. And I am night and day better. Right. Um, and not only because of just taking the Lexapro, but knowing that the panic has like a roof. Yes. So when the panic comes, like there's finally a moment where I get over the panic and I'm able to continue what I'm doing. So I, I can talk myself through the panic because before the panic never ended, right. it like shut me down. It shut me off for a time that I knew was too long. Right. Now, like if I'm driving or let's say like four months ago, five months ago, like when I was driving, the panic would come, my heart would race. I would do some techniques to get over the panic and then it would slowly go away after a few minutes. And then I would go on through my day. I would be uncomfortable, but I could do it. I could physically do what I needed to do. I wasn't going far. I wasn't doing anything crazy, but I could be at home. I could drive to certain areas and that was a huge relief on my family because like they would drive me places, they would make me do things. And that made me feel better because I wasn't a burden on my family anymore. And uh, I realized as I started to get better that 
I could start rewiring my brain through not necessarily exposure therapy, but things that you and I have talked about where like your experiences and addressing things can start fracking through the brain, right? Creating new pathways. And before where the brain would just take like, you know, that super highway, because it just knew that, yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) I could start addressing things, you know, maybe what was it through the frontal cortex or the neocortex, right? Right, right, right. And then, and then sort of moving them into the hippocampus where yeah, exactly. a little more narrative and a little less emotionally, (laughs) you know, fired up. Yeah. So um, what was neat about that too, is I was taking a lot more risks with my food. And even though they would still have some effects, like I could still eat a more rounded diet. And when I could eat a more rounded diet, I felt more comfortable like taking the probiotics. And I feel like a lot of it is fixing my gut health. And I think I know what triggered all of this in the first place now that I've gotten better. And I'm like, as I'm getting better now, I have clues at what may have caused it, right? And like low serotonin or a chemical imbalance or whatnot. And then gut health. And then at the same time, now being able to expose myself to the things that normally drive me crazy. And like, I would say a couple of weeks ago, Jerry, I am like almost back to normal. Like I I can drive anywhere I want. If I start to have any panic, like I can either talk myself through it, or I know it's going to be done with in a few moments. And once the panic's over, I'm not uncomfortable anymore. I like, I can get to where I'm going. I can drive my kids places. I know I I'm aware like I said, there's caps, right? Where the panic was, it felt like there was no cap to where the panic was. Like when the panic started, it could be the worst thing in the world right. to the point where I could kill myself. Now I know the panic's like right here. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even in the past couple of weeks, like there's been almost no panic. Right, right. It was the governor, right? It was the, right. it overtook everything. It was consuming. Now it's a part, right? It's an aspect. It's a thing you deal with, but whatever, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, like the, and if you guys know me and like, you kind of, uh, been paying attention one, I don't think you have ever guessed that I was dealing with such an extreme mental disorder. And it was like, I had contemplated suicide more than I ever cared to. And I used to be the person who was like, that's never an option, right? But the anxiety, it wasn't a depressed thing. The anxiety was just so bad. I would rather not deal with it. It was like, if somebody, if you were being tortured physically, Right. And it was like, I would rather just die. So I won't have to deal with the torture anymore. It felt like that. And, well, and it's and, right. And as so, I mean, when we talk about just, just for people's education, you may know this already, but when we talk about something like suicide, because lots of people have lots of opinions, right. About, about suicide. And one of the things that's tricky about suicide, it's very hard to learn about suicide and about how to intervene better, how to prevent better, because once somebody kills themselves, you can no longer ask them about their experience. Right. So, so, and then when you talk to people who maybe who have felt suicidal or have attempted suicide, but haven't succeeded, all the information you're getting is a little bit suspect because they didn't complete the suicide. So it's like, you know, it's very hard subject to learn about. Um, however, there's a lot of confidence in the idea that most people who attempt or complete suicide don't actually want to die, but they want whatever suffering they're enduring to stop and don't see any other way by which that will happen. 
And so I would say exactly that's like a completely accurate assessment. Right. I didn't want to die. I'm, you know, I'm not terrified of dying, but I would rather live. Right. right. But I would rather the pain to stop. That was like starting to surface. Yeah. And I sometimes would write down, um, uh, sorry. Uh, I would write down how I was feeling. You know what I mean? Like trying to document it and maybe like go through it and read it. Cause I read somewhere that you write it all down, you read it and it'll help you get it from like what we were talking about. Was it the, is it the hypothalamus or the hippocampus? Well, it comes out of the amygdala. That's where the amygdala, amygdala right? Yeah. Okay. And then you pull so, it into the prefrontal cortex where it gets right. thought about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to rationalize it. Right. So I remember reading about that and, um, so I was trying to write it out, but anyway, during the move, I stumbled across those writings and it was like, I can't believe I made it through. Some of those writings were extremely dark. And I remember when I was writing them, I was trying to do a good job of not sounding so dark. And that's apparently the best I could come up with. And I had drawn some pictures. I'm not an artist, but just to like keep myself distracted. And they were not like disturbing as in like you would look at it and think like, oh, but more disturbing. Like I was in such a mad, bad mental place. Yeah. And so I like, for example, this is, I'm a horrible artist, but just to give you an idea, I uh, drew this guy behind a bar, like jail cell bars and the jail cell bars spelt out fear. Oh. Like, but like, in you know, like an abstract way. So he was like being jailed by his fear. And that's like exactly how I felt where I was just being confined. And I was like, wow, I was, I was not doing so good. And uh, the fact that I am where I am right now, if you would have told me, you know, when I was at my worst, like, hey, one day future Chad is going to be okay. One day future Chad is going to drive all across town by himself or Chad's, you know, future Chad's going to be alone. Future Chad, Chad is going to do this and he's going to be through his day with no more panic attacks and no more anxiety. Like I hardly have any anxiety anymore. Oh, that's so good. And if I would have told past Chad that he would have not believed you. He would have absolutely not believed you. I thought it was going to be like this for the rest of my life. And I thought it was going to be a miserable experience. And I thought I was going to suffer through all this just so that way I could be with my kids. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, Chad, like that statement, when you say like, if you could talk to past Chad and tell them how future Chad was going to be, one of the things that's so hard for people is um, when they're going through the suffering that they're going through, that this is not who you are. This is what you're experiencing. Right. Exactly that. And right, that all that panic, all that anxiety, and I don't like the intent is not to minimize it or to make it something it's not. I know it was real and it was brutal and awful and, and you know, felt insurmountable, but it still wasn't your identity. It was a thing you were experiencing and you've experienced it and you continue to experience it, thank goodness, to a, to a lesser extent, it sounds like, but it's not who you are. And so, no. and so I think it's important for people to keep in mind that wh- whatever you're going through is not your identity. It's your experience. And I, so- I feel so lucky to have like the support system that I did going through it. 
And what makes me sad in what you're speaking to is there's people out there who are going through stuff like this and they're completely alone. Right. You know, I had people there to help, Yeah. you know, and not necessarily they didn't help me through my, everything I did was on my own. Right. Uh, I shouldn't say that either, but what I'm, what I'm saying is like my mental journey was on my own, but the physical manifestation of it, I had great support. Right. So my parents were there. You were there. The um, psychotherapist I ended up, I only met with her a couple of times, but she was great. Um, I, th- I think the thing that saved me is I was so fucking stubborn. <laughs> I'm not somebody who like just sits back and doesn't finish anything. Right. I said, I was going to figure this out. And I figured it out. And even though it took me six, seven years, like I figured, I figured it the fuck out and now I'm better. And like, there's differences. There was, like I said, there's stress management, right? You're anxious about work. You're anxious about your commute. There's uh, anxious about the in-laws coming in time, right? We get that. And that can overstress you out to where you have like an overall, like anxious disorder, right? Anxiety disorder. And then you can have an anxiety disorder and anxiety attacks based off immediate things. Right. And um, by the way, I'm describing my experience. I'm like, no doctor, I'm not spilling this from a book or anything um, about what's the dreadful thing that's about to happen. Like, let's say you have a horrible fear of fi- flying and you have an anxiety attack before you get on the plane or as the plane's taking off. Right. And then you have a panic attack. And like we said, that's like a chemical dump, you can feel the difference in your body and no one can talk you out of it. There's no getting through a panic attack besides getting through it. And like we said, it's like, there's a fire, you threw a chemical, a flammable chemical on the fire. and It's just got to burn out. And depending on the environment that that fire is in, like just hope to God, it's not next to any dry grass. Right. And for me, I felt like it was always next to dry grass and I felt the difference in all three. And now I would say, even though mental health is so, such a weird beast, such a weird animal that I understand mental disorders a lot better, not as in the sense to say that I understand mental disorders at all, but in the fact that it can happen to anybody, it can happen to anybody, anytime, it can happen to the strongest people. I'm not saying I was the strongest, but I was pretty fucking resilient. I could do most things. I became the epitome of somebody who was crippled by their anxiety. Um, Like I was completely debilitated, but I was so stubborn in finding a solution. And I did. And I wouldn't say like, it's an overall, like I'm still working on things to make myself better. Right. Sure. Um, But the fact that I am doing all the things I thought I couldn't do before, I'm doing all the things that I at one point thought I would never do again. Like to me, that's getting out to the other side, at least like I'm improving and actively getting better. I am very confident and much more sensitive, I should say, because I was not sensitive to mental disorders at all before this happened to me. I was actually probably a fucking punk when it came to mental (laughs) disorders. Looking back at it, um, I thought people were like, you know, victims and they just blame themselves. But no longer am I like that in my approach to mental disorders. However, I still hold true. You can't be the fucking victim. Like you have to act, you have to be as stubborn 
getting out and finding a solution. I strongly believe that there's a solution out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the brain, when people say it's all in your head, yeah, it's a bullshit statement. I get that. But at the same time, it's, it's somewhat true. All your circuitry is in your head. Right. It's more physiological than what people realize. And if you have a computer system that has a fucked up circuitry, the computer system will not run the way it's designed to run. And there are solutions to getting that fixed. And it, like you said, it's extremely complex. Like when you have computer problems, there's some things that like, oh yeah, this happened with the last update. All these computers have that. Or there are certain things where it's like very specific to that computer's experience, that computer's environment, that computer's whole um, uploading process, right? There's a very particular solution and way of diagnosing and fixing that computer. And you can find that for yourself. I'm a strong believer in that. If I could get out where I was, and you should have this conversation with Jade, to be honest, you should have Jade on my show. My wife yeah. was going through extreme depression and she's getting on the other side of that. And we were a couple where one was going through manic depressive bipolar disorder, coupled by postpartum depression, extremely suicidal and got through that. And she's very open to telling that story. I'll let her tell her story. But with me having a fucking panic disorder that was crippling and anxiety disorder, we somehow made it through to the other side. We found solutions. Thanks to Jerry. I think Jerry saved my wife's life with ketamine. And sorry, I'm getting emotional. Um, It was just, it was fucking ridiculous, you know? And we, if we can find a way through it, I think anybody can find a way through it. It was... Sorry, it was just, uh, it's hard, but you can do it. That's true. It's so, so what I will say, Chad, first of all, man, I am so um, grateful and appreciative of your courage and your vulnerability. And, and, you know, I would go on record as saying you talked earlier about how you were so proud of strength earlier on in your life and doing everything on your own and controlling your emotional reactions. And, and I knew you toward, you know, the transition from that into the anxiety, right? And I knew who you were when you thought you were Iron Man, you know? And, and this, what's going on right now, to me, is much stronger and much more courageous than that, you know? Um, to me, that always had there was resilience. You were able to tough through a lot of discomfort, but it was always resilience with, with a hint of shame, right? Like if anybody saw what was real, there was shame in that, right? Like you had to cover that up. And I, and I only recognize it because, right. It's like a mirror. I, I kind (laughs) kind of thing, right. But the ability to come on and to have some tears and to tell a real story. And you know, what I can appreciate is you told your whole story, you know, pretty stoically. And it's not until you talk about Jade that, that the tears come, you know? Yeah. Jade. Yeah. And there's, there's real strength in that, you know, there's real strength in loving someone so much and in feeling so deeply, you know, that vulnerability has strength. So, so I value that a great deal. And I'm thrilled that you have both managed to to hop on. What I will say, I agree with you that there's a solution for everyone. I believe that, right? Because if there's not, like, why bother? Like, I have to believe that, right? Right, yeah. Uh, and I would encourage anybody who's struggling or suffering to keep looking, 
just you know the the old Finding Nemo, right, Dory? Just keep swimming. Just keep yeah. Swimming. Keep looking. Try every path, right. even if it doesn't work. You found one path that didn't work. What I will say is tricky about the computer metaphor is what separates a human brain from say a computer processing unit is if I show my computer a really sad movie, the circuitry doesn't change. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. I, I should say that just in the physiological sense. <laughs> yeah, that right, right. I want people to imagine right. that our, there is a solution right. that is a tangible solution. Yeah, for sure. But the important component is that our physiology does change based yeah. on what we're exposed to and not, right? People who have adverse childhood experiences, for example, their brain development over the course of their life is different than those who grew up in safer, more nurturing environments. Like physiologically, they're different. And so that whole, it's all in your head, you know, what's emotional and interpersonal is also biological. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so, and, and vice versa, what's biological expresses itself behaviorally and emotionally. And so, um, and so, yeah, it is, it takes a lot of courage and it's, I'm, I'm so thrilled for you, man. You, you've been, uh, you were one of my very first friends when I moved to Colorado and you've been a really valued uh, relationship. Times when we talk more frequently, there's times when we talk less frequently, but you and, and Jade and your kids have always been really important to me. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're finding solutions and doing better. Oh yeah. And it's, it's great. You know, you look better. You look like, <laughs> like a whole different person. So I'm, that's good. That. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been so good to get on the other side of it. And like you said, like the tears, I guess, didn't come till Jade, like Jade was, we were both hot messes. Right. And um, it almost killed our relationship. And by like the grace of, god or the gods or whatever like by the grace of whatever we decided like we're we hit a point where like this isn't going to work anymore right. and then we were both like no fuck that we're going to make it work and to be honest if you heard like what we were going through you probably would have thought it was probably a toxic relationship because <laughs> it was just like we could not connect and then right. us getting to the point of failure and then realizing once we're at the point of failure, like, no, we would rather uh, swim than sink. Yeah. Um, made us extremely strong. Like for the past year, you know, like I said, when I felt the light of getting better, Jade got on ketamine and she got diagnosed and she got on some good medicine and she's a lot better. And she's, you know, found things to do in her physical life that helps her mentally. Yeah. Uh, we found ways of allowing her to have like, uh, aspects of her life that where she can get better aspects of my life where I can get better. And sure enough, that helps. So like, like you were saying, you watch a sad movie and you feel sad and a computer doesn't, there's things that you can do in the environment of your life to significantly help your mental health. And Jade's been doing that for herself. And I've been doing that for myself. We've allowed each other time for that. And between, and you got Jade on the ketamine and that made a massive difference right off the bat. And like you, we kind of said earlier, it's the strainer. It's like we were both trying to fill up water with a strainer and now it feels like we're finally being filled up and we can complement one another now and like fill up each other's bowls, you know what I mean? And God, I'm so happy like Jade and I worked through it and I wouldn't rather spend my life with anybody else but Jade. 
And I, it, it kills me to know how bad she was, but I'm glad, you know, that we're so much better and we're, we have a strong relationship now, stronger. And I know for the rest of my life, there's no way I doubt at least it's ever going to get that bad. Like, you know what I mean? And I guess if it starts getting that, that bad, we've been there. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. We're tested sailors. Right. Like even if bad waves come, like at yeah. least we know where to go when the bad waves come. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll get pushed to that limit again. I'm glad we got pushed to that limit and came out on the other side. Yeah. And if I would have lost Jade physically or emotionally, I, I think it would have been much worse because seeing how we are now, it's awesome. And yeah, Jade and, and I support one another. You guys have a, a remarkable love story and, and um, you know, my, my hope is that having had some trials will just make it that much stronger, you know? Yeah. And you guys are both warriors. So good for you, man. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear about it. Yeah. I'm me too. Like, to be honest, like when I tell the story, I'm so happy to listening to it. I'm, I'm so thrilled. It came out the way it did. Yeah. And she's, she's the best. She's a mother of four. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but she's had seven pregnancies. Wow. Yeah. Like, uh, but between miscarriages and like some of them were pretty far along miscarriages, but anyway, she's just like the poor girl. I've wrecked her body with pregnancies <laughs> and she looks great. Like she's mm-hmm. lost, you know, she's like back to the weight, uh, before like she was ever pregnant and she's working out hard. She's physically a lot healthier than she was. She's mentally healthy. Uh, she does a great job with the kids before she couldn't handle the kids. That was like one of the hardest parts is her threshold to handle stress was just not there. And uh, I don't want to tell her story, like I said, but now she's with the kids and she has fun with the kids. I have fun with the kids. We're, we're able to like go out in the world and I'm able, you know, as an adult to take my kids out to the park by myself or before I couldn't, yeah. it was like, sorry, daddy, like daddy can't go out. We're just going to stay home. And yeah, yeah. It's like the positive feedback loop is now in the other direction. Right. Things are getting better and better yeah. feeding off of each other. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. And I'm, and, and I, I'm going to talk to Jade about coming on and telling her story because uh, she would love to, she yeah. would love to. Yeah. And you guys, you guys just shine. You're, you guys have such a great family. So thank you. You seriously, I love you guys. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, that we know each other and have this relationship. And, and I mean, I'm thrilled to have you on my podcast, but if I never had a podcast, right, like you should know how much I value you guys as friends. So um, why don't you um, just tell everyone uh, about your school and how they can find you? Okay. Yeah. Questions. Let's do that bit. <laughs> you know, this. yeah. <laughs> Are we right? Are we running out of time? <laughs> we are a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, okay. Hey, I, by the way, like, um, if we, you know, we are running a little short right now, but I, what I would say is you told a beautiful story. I mean, really, like it was remarkable. I, I, I had emotional ups and downs just listening to you. Like there were points when you were talking, it was like, oh my God, how is this guy ever going to get through? How is he going to, and I know the story, right? Like, <laughs> right. And then you talk about feeling better and I, I got all charged up. And so yeah. what I would say is let's, let's leave this story at this. Okay. And then, and then if there's a, a, you know, if we have more to talk about, you want to come back on, let's yeah. do that. Let's do I that. could definitely, I can definitely dive into all sorts yeah. of yeah, stuff. Let's, 
let's do that. I, I wouldn't want to like dilute anything that's gone on this far with like more, you know what I mean? Like additional stories. You told, you told a powerful story, man. I, it's just, honestly, it's like the embarrassing truth. Right. And um, no one, no one really knows about this. You know what I mean? But like for me, right. No. For the longest time, it was the embarrassing truth and it's nice to not be controlled by it anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, in AA, you know, AA is like the home of every great slogan ever made, right? <laughs> and, and in AA, one of the many great slogans that they have is, is the truth will set you free. And I, and I think this is what they mean, right? I think when it's the embarrassing truth and it's hidden, that sense of shame of like, I can't share this, I can't, keeps you trapped, right? It keeps you in that cage and locked in. And when you can just admit and just talk about like, Hey, this is me. Like, here's the parts of me. I love, here's the parts of me that have struggled. And this is all just what's real. It's so freeing. It's like the cage door oh, yeah. right open and, and you can just be in the world, you know? So I, yeah, I know people are going to watch this. I'm going to share it and stuff. And they're probably going to be like, that's probably why he acted so weird. Sometimes like <laughs> he was dealing with a major panic disorder. Yeah, right. was, I, I was suffering. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to cover it all. You know, I was always just trying to feel like and look like I was normal. Yeah. And I truly, I was the opposite. I was well, dealing with I'm really horrible. grateful that you always felt comfortable enough to talk to me because oh yeah, um, I felt grateful for that because um, you always felt very, uh, one of the reasons why we were, you know, such sort of quick and good friends is that I felt like our friendship was very authentic. And so, oh yeah. Yeah. We could talk about anything without judgment. Right. And so I felt like I could open up to you and some of the things that you would talk about and you're like, Hey, you should try this or you should look into it. I would dive into it yeah. like crazy, you know? <laughs> and sure enough, some of the things that we dove into saved Jade. Right. You know what I mean? And Jade's so much better now. And, um, unpacking, unpacking that, misery that you care. So everyone carries luggage with them, right? Okay. And being able to unpack that and having somebody like you to make you feel comfortable. Like, I don't care about what's in your bag. Like, yeah. but we got to, if to fix it, we got to look at it. And for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that felt really important. And it's a huge step having people in your life to unpack that too, and to feel comfortable too, to even start the process of getting better. Cause one, you have to want to get better. Yeah. in my opinion. And if you're, I guess, watching this or you're talking to Jerry, then you've, you obviously want to get better. And so one of those things is you have to be raw yeah. in order to get to that point. Um, I like, like you said, we're running out of time. So yeah. I don't, well, I don't want to the old joke, right? How many light, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Just one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's funny yeah it's a yeah definitely bleeding the horse to water type thing but jerry you've been the best thanks pal you too, you too. and uh just i guess about me i would love to come back in here because yeah i honestly don't know another human who has been as busy as i have <laughs> like with doing stuff and dealing with stuff so um as a lot of people know, I work in the cyber field. I kind of do uh, cyber management and things like that, but I have started a business 
And um, for everybody who lives in the Falcon Payton area or maybe the east side of Colorado Springs, or if you just want to come check it out because we've done jujitsu together, I own a Brazilian jujitsu academy. It's called Combative Fighting Systems, and we've opened in uh, Payton, Colorado, which is technically the Falcon area. We have a temporary location with uh, this beautiful family. It's PCR Fitness, but they had some extra mat space out there. And what they kind of do is uh, not only do they do regular working out, but they train for like Spartan races oh. and Tough Mudders and stuff. So they have a whole obstacle course out there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, 7710 Curtis Road, uh, 80831. The beautiful family, uh, Bryant and his uh, wife, Pam, she's like a competitive racer. And I've convinced Bryant to get involved in jujitsu. And now he's got the bug. Um, so anyway, we got... Um, we just opened this a couple of weeks ago, the temporary location. We got like 50 members already. Nice. So a good kids class, a good adults class. But um, this was all leading up because we have a new building being built, uh, 10634 Maltese Point in uh, Falcon, Colorado. We saw that there was zero jujitsu in Falcon. And we kept hearing complaints that everybody had to drive 20, 30 minutes just to get into town to do jujitsu. And then at the end of the day, and it's late, they have to drive all the way back out to Falcon. And, and so adding another hour to your commute and jujitsu is already a long workout. They just, it wasn't being conducive for them. So we asked the community in Peyton, how would you like it if we opened up a jujitsu studio out here? And the overwhelming response was yes. Why wasn't this done yesterday? Right. So anyway, our new building shall be completed and constructed, hopefully, uh, by December or January, we'll see COVID shut a lot of things down or slowed a lot of things down in the construction process, but we'll have 3000 square feet, um, which is a beautiful amount of mat space uh, for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu out in Falcon. Uh, when that opens up in January, we're at the temporary, temporary location at PCR Fitness out on Curtis Road. Uh, if you guys want to come out and check it out, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has been one of the things that has kept me like somewhat sane and like this whole entire mess. Yeah. And if you've known me, you've probably seen me most consistently at jujitsu, just regardless of all the crap that I was doing. And uh, it's because it's really been stabilizing for me mentally. I noticed my anxiety was much more manageable and I didn't think about my anxiety when I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I know a lot of people who have experienced the same thing. And right now there's a company called Kill Crew. I guess I'm giving Kill Crew a shout out, but they have like a, a bunch of um, slogans and stuff in their like shirts and their sweatshirts, but it's like battling depression with jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? It's got like uh, the wolf choking out a devil and the devil is like anxiety and depression. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a pretty cool concept. I believe in it. And there's no shortage of organizations highlighting the connection between jujitsu and mental health benefits. There's submit the stigma, which is, Oh yeah. Submit the stigma. Right. There's, um, we defy foundation, which is for veterans with PTSD, mm -hmm. um, doing jujitsu. So there's PTSD and jujitsu is an amazing connection. Yeah. So I haven't seen anything better for PTSD, mm -hmm. not drug wise, right. rather than comedy in a combat sport. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And psychedelics too are helpful. Oh, yeah. But so I said not drugs, like not oh, drug no, related. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 
So yeah. So Chad, I wish you tons of luck. I'll have to come back, come down and check your place out. Oh yeah. Find us on social media. (laughs) I am connected to you on social media, (laughs) but yeah, we will find you. And um, so combative fighting systems, please check it out. And if uh, you're on, if you're on Instagram, it's CFS underscore Jew underscore Jitsu. Yep. So come find us on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Chad. This has been amazing. We are absolutely going to do part two because okay, good. <laughs> I want to hear the rest of what you have to say, and, and then I'll get I'll do part two, two B when I get Jade on too. <laughs> you should, play. you should tell Jade. Yeah, get Jade on here. That'll be I'll, fantastic. I'll hit her up on Facebook and see. If okay. She, um, as for uh, everyone out there listening or watching on YouTube, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, I know everybody's time is a precious commodity. And so it means a lot to me that you'll invest your time in listening or watching this podcast. I uh, hope it brings you value. And so please subscribe, like, comment. Um, Let me know if there's other things you'd like to hear about or see on the podcast, but but I really appreciate everyone's time. And uh, to find uh, my coaching practice online, my website is um, growth and thriving, all spelled out, growthandthriving.com. You can message me directly through there. You can find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and on Google, or on YouTube under Growth and Thriving LLC. And on Facebook, our page is Growth and Thriving, not spelled out with an ambersand, Growth and Thriving LLC. And the two groups we have, the two communities we have on there are um, Growth and Thriving After Trauma and Thriving Fathers, Parenting After Trauma. So come find us, leave a comment and stay tuned. Coming soon, we'll have our first uh, course available for sale. It'll be a 10 session course called the ABCs of PTG, talking about post-traumatic growth. And uh, coming up uh, on the podcast, we'll have Chad back on again and uh, Jade will be on to tell her story as well. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chad. Thank you. Uh, This is Dr. Jerry Sunshine Novak signing off for now, saying keep growing until you're thriving.